The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Marks, and welcome back to our show, Go to Health. We have a very interesting project to discuss today. It's called COCA, which is comorbidities of ADHD. And a comorbidity is really a condition that goes along with some other disorder. So, for example, if you have a migraine headache, a comorbidity would be nausea, for example. So, there are things that kind of go together, and we're going to talk about the kinds of conditions that go together with ADHD, which is attention deficit and hyperactive disorder. With us today is Dr. Katharina Hartman. She's Associate Professor of Psychiatric Epidemiology at the University Medical Center in Groningen, the Netherlands. And the overall objective of her research is to advance the understanding of the onset and long-term course of childhood onset psychiatric disorders. So, Dr. Hartman, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Good. How are you? Yeah. Good. So, you've really kind of been at the beginning of this COCA project, researching a lot of data and finding out, I guess, from records, what, goes, what other conditions go along with ADHD. Can you talk a little bit about the methods you've used to look at data and, and how you've collected your information? Well, there's actually two ways of, of, of two kinds of data. Uh, one uh, type is from registers, so that is like hospital uh, diagnoses uh, yes. and, and, and uh, medications and so on. And the other is, uh, way is that we actually measure things. So we, we have like a survey uh, with questionnaires or with, with uh, interviews to people. Okay. And how many, how, how big, how big is this study? How many people or records did you look at? Uh, I did this with a lot of colleagues uh, and it is uh, whole countries for partly, partly. So a uh, whole country of Sweden is participating, Norway, Denmark, these are three European uh, countries that have uh, everything registered uh, since a long time. Yes. And, and this, these registers are open for uh, research, which is quite uh, remarkable. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the other way, and that's from my own country, actually, we have uh, not, not readily accessible registers uh, as yet, although this is coming, but we have no tradition in this. But I actually measured ADHD and comorbid conditions through a very large uh, uh, data uh, um, source with all kinds of people um, contributing. Uh, and that is one, uh, 150,000 people in the Netherlands who, who are contributing and whom you can ask questions. Wow. I mean, so the hugeness of this study really makes it very valid data to rely on because you're looking at so many records and so many people. Yeah. yeah. And this is especially, of course, when you have whole countries. Yes. Uh, but also like uh, sample sizes of 150,000 people is, is very large. Yeah? So indeed, the information is very solid. Yeah? 
on which we base ourselves. Yeah. Wonderful. So from your research, I want to kind of answer a first question. Is ADHD a serious disorder? In, in society, there's a lot of joking about ADHD, or maybe I'm a little ADHD, or whatever. Is ADHD a serious disorder? Let's get that out right now. Yeah. <laughs> it is a serious condition. And for example, that is at school. So it's difficult to complete school, more difficult for kids with ADHD to complete school. Mm -hmm. It's also more difficult to keep good social relations uh, because uh, sometimes kids or adults with ADHD are are misunderstood. So they are uh, active and they may interrupt you during conversation or... And that can make um, you misunderstood as if you are not interested, if you are not paying attention or indeed disrupt the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is sort of handicaps. But on top of that, uh, and that is indeed what the research is about, uh, ADHD goes together with with other uh, conditions and other diseases. And in COCA, we looked particularly at uh, psychiatric diseases, anxiety disorders, uh, mood disorders, but also obesity, uh, which is, of course, a a, a somatic condition. Mm -hmm. And and that goes together with ADHD. And uh, that is um, especially in adulthood. Mm -hmm. And that that becomes even more serious. So it's not just difficulty at work in adulthood rather than school in childhood. Uh, and difficulty with organizing things and paying your your uh, bills and so on, but it is also because you get more sick, or you have at least a higher chance. I should say it like that. And not everybody with ADHD uh, will get added extra conditions, and certainly not. But you have a higher risk. So let's let's go a little bit into. So you've kind of divided these into psychiatric disorders and then also physical or somatic disorders. Let's talk about the psychiatric disorders. You mentioned anxiety and depression. Um, Are these also substance use as well, I would think? Yeah, I forgot about this, but true, true. Right. Yeah. Yeah, So let's talk a little bit deeper about what happens in these kids as they grow older and, you know, come come into adulthood and what happens psychiatrically. As a child, it can be only ADHD or there can be some aggression co-occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um, there is a co-occurrence with autism. Mm. In adulthood, uh, when people grow older, um, part of the group with ADHD actually uh, grows over their symptoms. So their symptoms go down more and more, even to the point for one third of the, of the group that holds, even to the point that they are... I, actually like typical yeah what we call typically uh growing up people say mm-hmm. um, um so that helps for one third but the other two thirds either goes partly in what we call remission so they lose some of their symptoms or not at all they 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 keep their adhd as severe as it was in childhood and and, and and do we know what causes either the remission of those symptoms uh, or, the, or, or the intensification as people grow? Do we know yet? Maybe no, we need more research. No. <laughs> yeah, that is indeed, you, you, I hear you laughing. That's what researchers always say, yeah, we need more research. But in right. fact, no, we don't know this. And 
I should even be more uh, modest about this because we, we tended to think of ADHD as a childhood disorder and which would not go into adulthood at, at all, you know. So this, this, this uh, idea that of this knowledge that it is not over with childhood is, is in fact uh, relatively new. So let alone that we know why some people come, become more severe and get additional conditions. Mm -hmm. I mean, in general terms, of course, I can, I can uh, talk about this. Yeah, we know that genetics play an important part. So there are genes that are um, uh, both uh, put you at risk both for ADHD and for other conditions. Mm -hmm. And that is the reason why they then may co-occur. Uh, but there are also uh, genetic causal relations. So if you are genetically at risk for ADHD, that is in fact causal towards developing, for example, comorbid depression or anxiety. Uh, we know actually this mostly for depression, uh, as well as obesity. We talked about obesity already a bit. So then there is a causal genetic link. But it can also be through other ways. Eh? Through, through, for example, if you are... Uh, failing in your work and you cannot cannot get things done. Mm -hmm. um, school, for example, work, it can also be a very uh, disturbing kind of experience. And, and it is also thought that part of the depressions may come through failure, eh? feeling, feeling like you fail in things. Right. Uh, but that is also partly speculation. We haven't had the good longitudinal studies yet to, to determine this. And we are only beginning to find the genes for ADHD as well as these comorbid conditions. So that is all only very, uh, very much in the beginning. Right. And, and my task was first to, my and my colleagues, uh, uh, to first establish, is ADHD co-occurring more often with depression? Is it with anxiety? And we have established that, yes, this is very much so. Mm -hmm. In adulthood, indeed, it is very much so. Uh, about half of the people with, with ADHD in adulthood also experience, for example, an, a depression during their lifetimes. And that also is half almost for anxiety, uh, episodes of anxiety disorders. Wow. So there really so, is a high level of comorbidity is what you found yeah. in this study. Yeah. It right. is, right. And that is, uh, we knew that from small samples uh, that this was probably the case. But, mm. uh, and that's why we got the grant to in actually investigate this in at a very much, much larger scale. And yes, this is indeed the case. Good. So this is, this is a multi-country, multi-year study funded by the European Union, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so it's been a really a huge study. Now, tell me a little bit. We have a few minutes to talk about the more physical, or you know, or the uh, the cardiometabolic diseases, or Alzheimer's. Let's talk a little bit about that and how that can develop. As and and some of this, I have to say, it's kind of depressing news, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, if you, yeah, if you have yeah. ADHD, but are there things we can do about it? And Katarina Hartman is talking mostly about the comorbidities, but we're going to be interviewing Dr. Andreas Reif right after this to talk more about the overview of the project and what the aims of the project are to help people and also help medical professionals to deal with this. Yeah, so that's good that you mentioned that because he is the clinician and yes. he knows more about this while I'm more like an epidemiology uh, kind of uh, person. Right. So I know more about the research. Right, got uh, it. 
So let's talk a little bit about the type 2 diabetes and the cardiovascular diseases and what kind of comorbidities you see there. Yeah. So uh, in the COCA project, we only uh, uh, investigated uh, obesity. And indeed, this is also uh, very much co-occurring with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Uh, But of course, obesity is in turn a risk factor for other cardiometabolic diseases like type 2 diabetes and and cardiovascular, sorry, yeah, yeah, cardiovascular diseases. And these were not part of COCA yet, but um, I have recently really studied literature on that because I had to talk about this for a, for a, in a congress. And yeah, the first science is indeed also that this goes on further in life. And so like uh, obesity, you can already see that in childhood a little bit and, and uh, as, as more co-occurring with ADHD relative to people without ADHD. And this is stronger in adulthood. And indeed, later in life, when, when these uh, conditions like uh, type 2 diabetes and uh, cardiovascular diseases uh, come up, um, uh, indeed, it is the case that this is more often so in persons with ADHD than without ADHD. And why this is, now it can simply be due to the obesity being a risk factor, but we don't think so. We think there is additional genetic risk mm. um, that is uh, is adding to this. And, and of course, a lifestyle may be an important part already in, in the obesity, but not only. It can also be simply genetic risk and not just lifestyle. Um, so this is an... Yeah, actually, a next uh, research project that is, again, funded by the EU, and it is more about the older age diseases, and therefore, cardiometabolic diseases uh, are central to study. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we now, as Dr. Hartman was saying, it was originally thought that ADHD was only in children, but it was really in the 1980s where the research started to show that this really continued into adulthood for at least two thirds of the people who have yeah. ADHD. And there are serious uh, health ramifications, as Dr. Hartman's uh, epidemiological research is showing. So yeah. it's really worth uh, understanding very well what the comorbidities are as as ADHD children grow into ADHD adults. And that's why I wanted to have Dr. Hartman share with us her research. Thank you very much, Katerina, for joining us. Stick with us, folks. We will be back just after these messages with Dr. Andreas Reef, who will give us more of an overview and clinical ramifications for this COCA project. And you can find out more about uh, the COCA project and Dr. Hartman's research at at COCA, which is like Coca-Cola, C-O-C-A-project.eu. And that's for Europe. So it's Coca-project.eu. Thanks so much, Dr. Hartman, for being with us today. It was wonderful to speak with you. And please continue this wonderful research you're doing. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The soul of enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with the 
replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Are you looking for a happy lifestyle? Now that's a crazy question, isn't it? Everyone wants to be happy, but we struggle in trying to figure out how to get there. Want help with that? Then tune in to Say Yes, Be Happy with Natalie Botros. Find out about the Bon Vivant Girl lifestyle and learn how to enjoy every aspect of life and be happy. Say yes, be happy. Listen live every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. In this segment, we're talking with Professor Dr. Andreas Reif, the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry, Psychosomatic Medicine, and Psychotherapy at the University Hospital of Frankfurt, Germany. Dr. Reif is the project leader for the COCA study, which is a consortium of 17 medical institutions from eight European countries studying the comorbidities, or as I mentioned before, co-occurring medical conditions of ADHD, such as mood disorders, depression, anxiety, obesity, and substance use disorders. You can learn more again at coca-project.eu. That's coca-project.eu. So doctor, in our previous segment, we spoke with Dr. Katharina Hartman about the huge data study she's conducting from medical records in different countries. I wanted to speak with you about two aspects of the COCA project. First, what you're learning about genetics and ADHD, and then second, an overview of the project. So let's start with genetics. What are we learning about genetics and these comorbidities with ADHD? Okay, very good question. And first, to begin with, hi, Jonathan, great talking to you today. Thank you. And great for giving us the opportunity to showcase our project. Project. Actually, our genetic studies blend in 
with a lot of other studies on the genetics of ADHD and mental disorders. And coca is one piece of the cake, but genetics these days is all about collaborative science and big science. That means we need many, many researchers, many, many participants for genetic studies, and we can only contribute a share of that. In mental disorders, uh, we conceptualize the genetics, not that one gene causes one disorder. We know that we have many, many individual genetic variants, we call them SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, that only increase the risk to disease for a tiny, tiny percentage of the overall risk. So you need many risk variants that accumulate and then you're over the diagnostic threshold. And we call that model the polygenic model for mental disorders. Mm -hmm. That has many implications. First, many of these risk SNPs, these risk variants, overlap between disorders. So we know that, that uh, mental disorders share a lot of genetic variants, a lot of risk variants. And that might also explain comorbidity or co-occurrence. Second, every one of us carries many risk variants. You do, I do, we all carry risk variants for mental disorders. And it's all about First, how many you carry, how those interact, and how those interact with the environment. And that brings us to a so-called stochastic or probabilistic model of mental disease. The genetics don't determine whether you will get ill or not. They just increase your risk. So that is, in one sense, a very good message. Genes aren't your destiny with respect to mental disorders. Still, many people think in a way very traditional genetics have suggested for severe disorders. We all know them like Coria Huntington or uh, tuberous sclerosis or mucoviscidosis, where you have a genetic variation and if you have this variation, you will get ill. This is the one gene, one disorder model, or in more classical terms, a dominant or recessive genetic disorder. Mental disorders are not. Mental disorders are, as I've said, polygenic, you need many risk variants of small effect. And if you appreciate that model, this also means that you need an awful lot of people to discover these risk variants. In the beginning of, of psychiatric genetics, like 20 years ago, we studied very small samples, like 200 patients against 200 controls and compared them. What you do here is that you study the, the variant of interest and compare that in patients, whether you carry the T variant or the C variant, and then you do the same in controls and you see whether that there are statistically meaningful differences between both samples. So we started out with 100 or 200 patients and we soon learned this is way too small. If you want to discover such small risk variants, you need larger sample size. And then another problem comes in. Modern um, genetic analysis allow to investigate many risk variants at the same time. Mm. In the older days, like 20 years ago, you studied just one or probably two variants, and that was already a very laborious work. But nowadays, you study half a million variants at the same time on so-called microarrays. And that also means that you have to we call that correct, statistically correct, for doing half a million investigations at the same time. To have an analogy, if you shoot half a million a time 
with a gun on a target, well, you will hit the target some of the times just by chance. And you have to eliminate that. And therefore you have to correct for the number of tests. And also that requires that you have to study many participants. So two effects come in parallel. First, risk variants are small. Second, we have multiple testing. That's how we call that technically. Okay. And both of them requires that we don't study 200 patients, that we don't need to study 2,000 patients. What we need to do is to study 200,000 or 2 million cases. Can I ask a question about that before sure. you go on? So the result of studying just 200 patients, what did you see? You didn't see any, any variation between the control group and the study group? Is that what the problem was? Oh, sometimes we did, but in hindsight, we know that that was all chance, ah. what we call so-called false positives. Okay. Um, that we did see a difference, but that was not a real effect. That was just by chance, like shooting 200 times at the target. And sometimes right. you hit. Right. And um, most of these findings from these days don't hold up up to now. So most of them were discarded. Actually. Got it. So what you're saying is you really have to do large population studies to get st statistically significant results. Absolutely. That is what we do. Good. And... As you can imagine, recruiting 200,000 patients can't be done by just one research group, not even by 10 research groups, but you need research groups from all over the world. And that is exactly what the large collaborations these days do. The most the biggest one is the PGC, the Psychiatric Genomics Consortium, um, where researchers unite to share their data and to analyze them together. Right. And COCA researchers were part of these larger groups. We contributed samples, but, and that is probably the specific contribution of COCA, we had, we asked specific analytical questions, how we analyze these data sets and how we, we tackled that. And, and that is what we did here. We did many, many analyses within pre-existing data sets also we as researchers contributed to these data sets, but the, the main point within COCA was to run the analysis. And that's what we did. And we, we did this analysis with um, having the question in mind, first, can we investigate the genetics of ADHD with respect to comorbidity? And can we tease out some biological mechanisms in doing so? And what we could show in COCA is um, that there's a substantial genetic overlap between ADHD and other mental disorders like depression, like bipolar disorder, like substance use disorders, and we tested many of them, cannabis abuse and cocaine abuse being the, the most prominent ones, and also obesity was what we have studied. We did many, many more analyses. This part of COCA has produced, I guess, 40 papers Wow. So I just can give you a ballpark number of our, our findings here. But we could very clearly estimate the genetic overlap of ADHD with these other disorders. And we also could ask some biological questions. And what we saw, for instance, and that to me is a very interesting finding, is that the risk genes that increase your risk towards ADHD and obesity, likewise, um, that uh, genes regulating the dopaminergic system have a role in this comorbidity. Explain the dopaminergic system a little bit, because I'm, I'm not sure people know. Yeah, 
so dopamine is, is one key neurotransmitter in the human brain. Okay. Uh, many people do know serotonin, which is dubbed the happiness molecule, which it isn't, spoiler alert, um, but it is the, the neurotransmitter that is targeted by most common day antidepressants. Um, dopamine probably is known to some people because it's a molecule that's implicated in Parkinson's disease okay. um, in the motor system. So what you do in Parkinson's patients is stimulating the dopamine system, but this is this part of the system that regulates your motor functions. But there's also a neurotransmitter system using dopamine as a molecule for reward signaling. So it's implicated in forming your habits and your sensitivity to re reward. I mean, reward is a very important motivator for behavior. We call that goal-directed um, behavior. And dopamine kind of shapes your, your goal-directed behavior to a reward, right? And in that, this is a key molecule for substance use, for instance. Most of the um, drugs of abuse, like cocaine, amphetamine, or whatnot, um, work through the dopamine um, system. Dopamine signals what you think is good for you, and that might be chocolate, sex, whatnot. Many, many different things converge on this dopaminergic reward system, and that indicates that, hey, there's something that is good for you, as I've said, food, sex, social relationships, whatnot, and the, the brain and the organism moves its behavior towards that goal. Okay. And um, we have seen that the dopaminergic system is dysregulated in ADHD. We, we do know that, and it's also the target of uh, ADHD medication. Methylphenidate or other stimulants directly work on the dopamine system. And we see that the genes that are implicated in regulating the dopamine system are associated with ADHD on the one hand and with obesity on the other hand. And that kind of is an important piece of the puzzle saying, okay, obesity and ADHD might be linked via this genetic mechanism that is implicated in, in the changed reward system in ADHD, as well as a um, abnormal response to, to food-seeking, to food and food-seeking behavior in these patients. So they eat more because their reward system is a little bit, well, Wired, if you may call it so. And we can trace this back to genetic variants. I also hear you saying that it can also lead to substance use disorders because there's a, a very positive reward for, for using too much. Yes, yes. We, we didn't investigate that yet with okay. this specific question, but this is actually our hypothesis that that would also be the link between ADHD and substance use. Now, you mentioned before that genetics are not your future. So what, and you say it's a risk factor. So what do we know what factors bring out certain genetic traits and, and, and suppress certain genetic traits so that you either have the symptom or you don't? Do we know that? Well, actually, the frank answer would be no. We have lots we don't of know. ideas how, 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 how it could be brought about. Um, but actually, it's the one million question, one million dollar question. What... Um, what interacts with your genetic makeup to increase or decrease the risk. Um, on the one hand, you also might have genes that, that also increase your resilience, that like buffer your risk genes, and that might is probably not overlapping. So these are two different gene sets. 
we know that, that all kinds of stress interact with um, risk genetic variants and most of the environmental risk factors obviously interact with your genetic makeup. Otherwise, they wouldn't be independent risk factors, right? Right. Um, but the precise mechanism, that can only be speculated upon right now. Good. We do hypothesize mechanism of action via the stress axis, via so-called epigenetic mechanisms, which is like an environmental signaling on the regulation of, of gene expression. Mm -hmm. That is very interesting hypothesis. However, not conclusively been shown for mental disorders yet. So what I hear you saying is that stress factors and environmental factors can affect the expression of certain genetic traits. That is true, right. Yeah. Okay, good. So what are we, we'll talk about this in our next segment, but in terms of the, the genetics part, what are we hoping to learn? What are the objectives of learning for the study of genetics and these comorbidities? What are we hoping to accomplish? Obviously, you can't change your genome, right? So this isn't a therapeutic target. And I think that's also an, an important message. As we talk about small genetic variants with small individual risk, there's no room for genetic engineering or genetic selection or any of these things. Um, we don't want to do that, but also we can't do that. As simple as that, which is probably good news. So yes. we have to, to um, learn how to modify the environmental exposure in people at risk. That is one thing. It might help us with um, establishing a better diagnosis if we could say, well, if we, we could use your genetic makeup to establish a diagnosis, it would help the clinician. Personally, I don't think that is really needed for ADHD. My biggest hope would be that if we learn more about genetics, we learn more about mechanisms of disease, that we learn which biological pathways are implicated. And that in turn would bring us hopefully to better treatments and also better prevention. If we know which, which mechanisms are implicated, if we know which people are at risk, then we can probably learn how we can prevent manifestation of disease in these patients. Right. Now, with the COCA project, are we learning, is, is, it, is, is this about only medications that can, get, that can um, change effects here, or are we also talking about lifestyle and diet effects? Um, so the two mechanisms we investigated were exercise and bright light therapy. So two environmental lifestyle therapies, if you Very want to call it that way. And we were interested whether that might improve the, the overall mental health disease burden in ADHD patients. So Got we were it. studying young adults that had treatment as usual and were treated additionally with either exercise treatment or bright light therapy, or treatment as usual with nothing else. So this is really potential good news for patients because you're not studying just the effects of medication. At, really, you're not studying it at all. You're studying the effects of light therapy and exercise on, how, on different symptoms. Yes, well, but just that we study doesn't mean that it's any good, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. But what we're looking for is non-pharmaceutical solutions to these various different comorbidities and ADHD. That's true, although I have to say that our study is about add-on treatment. Those, these patients were treated as usual, and that means that a substantial number of these patients were already treated with medication. 
Not all of them, but some of them. It was right. allowed in the study. We wanted to investigate real-life patients. And um, it's especially in those patients that were already on treatment, we are comparing against a very effective treatment, right? So that makes it even a bit harder for us to, to assess. So we've been talking with Professor Dr. Andreas Reif, Chair of the Department of Psychiatry, Psychosomatic Medicine, and Psychotherapy at the University Hospital of Frankfurt, Germany. He is the project leader for COCA, which is a consortium of 17 medical institutions from eight European countries, and they are studying comorbidities or co-occurring medical conditions with ADHD. We've been talking about genetics. Stay with us after this commercial break. We'll come back and talk about the overall aims and results of the project. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel with a replay on Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Are you looking for a happy lifestyle? Now that's a crazy question, isn't it? Everyone wants to be happy, but we struggle in trying to figure out how to get there. Want help with that? Then tune in to Say Yes, Be Happy with Natalie Botros. Find out about the Bon Vivant Girl lifestyle and learn how to enjoy every aspect of life and be happy. Say yes, be happy. Listen live every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, call in to 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, we're back with Professor Dr. Andreas Reif. He's the chairman of the Department of Psychiatry, Psychosomatic Medicine, and Psychotherapy at the University Hospital of Frankfurt, Germany. We're talking about the COCA study, which is a five-year study. It's a consortium of 17 medical institutions from eight European countries, and they are studying comorbidities or co-occurring medical conditions with ADHD. So, and it's the project is uh, just recently finishing, and they're starting to publish papers. So I want to talk with you, doctor, um, for this next segment. What were the overall aims of the study? What were you hoping to learn? And we'll talk about those objectives, and then we'll talk about what you actually found. Yes, so our um, main interest was to study comorbidity in ADHD, and especially zooming in on depression, on substance use disorders, and obesity, as these have, as you know, important impact on your quality of life and your life expectancy. And we had many questions uh, regarding this comorbidity. uh, We were prompted to investigate this topic as we know that many adult patients come to seek for help not because of their ADHD core symptoms as such, but because of comorbid conditions. So usually outside of very specialized outpatient units, Um, patients would come especially to psychiatric departments because of depression or substance use, and then we diagnose ADHD to be present on top of that, or rather underlying that, um, merely by chance or accident. So we do know that a lot of patients actually in adulthood often suffer more from their comorbidity than they suffer for their ADHD as such. Not all patients, but some patients. If, as a clinician, you first see these comorbid conditions and you're not aware of the underlying ADHD, if you know about the ADHD and you diagnose it, can you better treat the patient? Well, we would hope so because, um, of course, patients have a lot more symptoms um, besides their, their, their comorbid conditions, right? And they probably don't even attribute these symptoms to ADHD. So if you treat ADHD, then we help them with these other symptoms as well, which they often, that, that's a life-changing thing for these patients. Right. What we actually don't really know is whether the comorbid condition gets better when we treat the ADHD. We know that ADHD treatment reduces the risk for later on comorbidity. That's something yes. we don't know for, for depression, we don't know that for substance use and for obesity. There are, well, older studies and newer studies that investigate that in so-called longitudinal designs. But whether the acute treatment, for instance, in depression, if you treat ADHD, if it's present at the same time, whether that also results in a improved remission of depression or not, that we actually don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so we, we asked very simple questions, but also very hard to ask questions. First was, how big is the size of the problem? And that means epidemiology. And I think you have talked to Katharina Hartmann already about that part of COCA, where we used very large registers, whole populations, to, to estimate and to determine the size of the problem. Second, um, what is the genetic underpinning? We know that ADHD is... Uh, 
disease that has strong genetic underpinnings and so is, for instance, substance use, obesity and depression. And we asked, well, can we identify the overlapping genetic risk or is there any overlapping genetic risk? That would be very reasonable to, to conceive that because if you know you have genetic disorders or disorders with a strong genetic component, and if they occur in a comorbid fashion, it kind of makes sense to, to think that the genetics overlap as well. Third question, can we test specific mechanisms that we hypothesize to play a role in comorbidity and be specifically looked for the dopamine system that we have talked on in the last segment already, as well as the circadian system. The circadian system is your biorhythm, the, that's the, the inner clock that um, kind of underlies your, your rhythmicity with respect to many, many different biological mechanisms such as sleep, but also digestion and whatnot. Um, third, can we tackle comorbidity with non-pharmaceutical um, therapies, bright light therapy and exercise, and does that in turn modulate these mechanisms of circadian system, dopamine system? And then big part of the um, COCA project was to disseminate that use to the public and to inform the general public about all these things. And that's actually what we do right here, right now. Right. And finally, we, we had uh, some smaller work packages that looked for um, prediction, whether we can use sophisticated artificial intelligence methods to predict comorbidity in patients, and whether we can identify, well, compounds that could be used in a repurposed way. That means these are used for different indications at the moment that kind of target these mechanisms that we identify in, in the genetic analysis. So you talked a little bit about um, studying light therapy and also exercise. Can you tell us a little bit about the methods that you used in this project to determine whether light or exercise makes a difference? Yeah. So these were, were treatment as patients that had, all of them had treatment as usual. So they were treated with psychotherapy, with stimulant medication, whatever the clinician deemed suitable and we studied patients from four countries in, that was Germany, UK, Netherlands and Spain and well a third of the patients just received treatment as usual in the, the study framework so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, another third received bright light therapy that was a bright light device which probably most of uh, the listeners know you can well buy them on, on Amazon for $50 Right. These days, so very, very simple devices that deliver bright light and medical quality and patients had to um, get the bright light for a specific time and duration in the, in the morning. And the, the last third group, they had to do an exercise program and that was quite clever. We, we delivered a um, um, specifically tailor-made exercise program that was um, delivered by a small educational video on the smartphone. You had to achieve specific goals per week and per day, and then you got some positive feedback if you reached your target, um, also comparing you. And so, so we tried to make it a little bit fun and to gamify that somewhat. And we had this all on the patient's smartphone so that we could 
um, send prompts to say, hey, your, your daily training session is about wow. to come. Come on, Very let's good. do it. Right. Um, so we try to, to use that to increase the motivation. And we also use the smartphone in all participants to investigate activity le levels and compliance with the study protocol. So, and, and that was quite innovative. For most studies, you just ask the patient, did you do this and that, or they had yes. to pick up a box or whatnot. And for COCA, we used the censoring system. And that is quite surprising. And well, it tells us probably we knew that already that people have a tendency to report things that they think the other person wants to hear, right? Yes. Some of you are married, I know. I'm married as well. So we all do that, right? Yeah, right. Tell our wives what they want to hear. Um, patients in studies are a bit the same, right? So they tend to report good things about them. Mm -hmm. um, and things like exercise are stressful to do sometimes. So you're bringing up an interesting point here, which is not only are you studying this, but you're also using tools in the study that you want patients to use that could actually improve their health if it's proven that it does improve their health. But then you're also not only using tools, but you're also using prompting systems to remind people. And is this going to be, do you think this is going to be part of the protocol or recommendations going forward that in order to improve life, you know, quality of life, that people use these tools and these prompt systems to improve their health? Yeah, that was our idea, that, is, uh, that this prompting system is something we could use for further clinical recommendations. Yes. Absolutely. But now comes a spoiler alert. We have not yet published the final results of the data, and I can't be very specific here. I do have the data, but um, I can't be very explicit before we publish it. But right. people tend not to comply with exercise. They just don't want to do it. Yes. Or they... The, the motivation to do recommended levels of exercise is rather low. Mm -hmm. If we would have just asked them whether they would have complied, then we would get a completely wrong picture. Yes. Um, I think really measuring it was very telling. It tells us that um, probably doing exercise on your own, even if motivated by a smartphone system, is not enough. Mm -hmm. So we need to be better than that. And probably group exercise is one way forward. But overall, exercise treatment, even if it would be beneficial, which we don't know yet, is probably not something which can be used on a large scale in patients just so. Okay. Because patients just don't do it. Right. So in the time we have left, let's talk about the papers you have published, what you have learned, and what have been the benefits of this study. So as Katarina probably has, has already detailed, we have learned the size of the problem. I think that is something we can now very clearly say that the proportion, for instance, of ADHD patients in adulthood that also suffer from depression is between 40 and 50%. Wow, that's a lot. So it's really a lot. And the same figures hold true for anxiety, for instance, for substance use. It's a bit lower, but it's still dramatic. And we could very specifically see um, differential effects in males and females. We could see how much that costs actually um, in the healthcare sector. Um, this comorbidity amounts in Germany to about two to three thousand euros per year excess cost in comorbidity. Mm -hmm. um, we could make a relevant contribution to, to the genetic overlap between these disorders. So we think that substantial part of the comorbidity is due to genetic factors and we can 
we have measured that. Mm -hmm. That still leaves room for environmental effects, right? I mean, they, they contribute to that, but we could, well, quite confidentially, uh, con confidently and robustly um, estimate the, the part of genetic overlap between these conditions. Um, what we saw in our neuroimaging experiments that tested the dopaminergic system is that this hypothesis turned out to be true, that the dopamine system indeed has a role in comorbidity mm -hmm. and it affects the, the brain of an ADHD patient a little bit differently to the brain of a neurotypic control patient. We also learned that the circadian system is likely not a causal mechanism in ADHD and comorbidity. Your circadian system seems to be changed in these patients, but that's rather a consequence of the disease, not the um, cause of the disease. Not a cause, right. We, um, as I've just said, we have established this very elegant and um, refined mobile health system that delivers you prompts and records your exercise. And we have this wonderful tool that demonstrated us that patients don't do exercise in the clinical study. <laughs> right. As I said, I can't detail more about the, the actual outcome of the clinical study because that's still under embargo. Mm -hmm. But I think I can disclose that exercise therapy as an individual training will not be something we would recommend. Mm. Um, yeah, so these are the, the key findings, I would say. And we, we learned that the, the field of comorbidity in ADHD is really a really large medical need. It's a largely unmet medical, medical need. Mm -hmm. um, there are many European countries where ADHD and therefore also the comorbidity in ADHD are not yet appreciated, where the level of care is comparatively low as compared to, to Germany, UK or US, for instance. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of room for improvement for our patients' lives and health. And that's what we also try via our training and dissemination activities. What would, what would be some, um, I would say, overall messages you would give to clinicians that are a result of the study? What do clinicians need to be doing differently? Yeah. Very clearly, if you have a patient with ADHD, look out for comorbidity. Um, inform your patients they are at risk for depression, substance use, obesity, so that they can um, preemptive measures, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's uh, ADHD patients are more prone to have substance, to, to be substance abusing. So they need to know about that. They, um, if they use alcohol to regulate their mood, that's not a good idea. They might be more prone to, to develop dependency. Right. So inform your patients. It's always good that the patients knows all about his or her disease um, and be aware of comorbidity develops. First thing. Second thing, if you have a patient that suffers especially from depression and substance use, look for comorbid ADHD. Often this is not probably being investigated, so you have to actively screen for ADHD in these patients. We know that that is very clear, especially in substance use that ADH screening, ADHD screening is very important and relevant as it discloses a huge number of previously unrecognized patients. Those are, this is, these are really significant messages for both the public and professionals, that if you suffer from these comorbidities, you should look for ADHD, or if you know you have ADHD, 
look for these comorbidities because they really go together. And you've proved that very, very, very strongly statistically that these things go together. Yeah. So uh, listen, when you, when you do finish with the, uh, this, your publications on exercise and everything, I'd love to hear the update. So we, we know the, the either benefit or lack of benefit of that. That'd be great. So we'll come back and find out more. Go ahead. Do you have any last words you want to say or what's the next, I guess my last question is what's the next area of research that you would move to from this COCA study? Well, I have to say it was great having this impressive group of researchers and which became friends over the year. Yes. And that have really, really generated a very strong network that collaborated in a very effective and also friendly manner. And that was a very pleasurable experience that, that really these multinational consortia are possible. And they, they, we were even able to to collaborate during the COVID pandemic in a very effective way, which was showing how well we collaborate. Um, so we definitely want to conti- continue with our studies and the next field of research we want to zoom in and hopefully we get some funding for that, specifically the comorbidity of ADHD with major depression, because mm-hmm. that's the most important, the most relevant and the most impactful comorbidity we know that if an ADHD patient suffers from depression, that has the, the major impact on quality of life in these patients. So the leverage to improve pa- patients' lives here is really huge. Good. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us. Um, we're at the end of our segment today. We've been talking with Professor Dr. Andreas Reif. He's the chair of the Department of Psychiatry, Psychosomatic Medicine, and Psychotherapy at the University Hospital of Frankfurt, Germany. He's also the project leader for the COCA study. That's C-O-C-A, a consortium of 17 medical institutions from eight European countries studying comorbidities of ADHD. And you can learn more at coca-project.eu. Doctor, thanks so much for being with us today. It's, your work is so important and we're learning so much. I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at gotohealthmedia.com and elevate your life.